Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. You know, this week in our current series, we've been looking at the importance of sharing our faith. And today we continue with a message called, I will tell as a way of life, based on Acts 8, 26 to 38. So let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. I don't like pushiness in people. I bet you don't either. Several years ago, while I was buying a car, I began to think about the kind of a salesperson I'd like to buy a car from. For instance, if a salesperson asked me, what would it take for you to buy this car today? I determined to walk off the lot immediately. I wasn't going to argue. I just don't like being pushed around. I was determined that I would be in control of my car buying experience, not the salesperson. But before I was done, that commitment got severely tested. One salesperson asked me which color I preferred, and when I told him, he called me the next day to tell me that he had gotten the car I liked from another dealer. When would I come in to take possession of it? Well, needless to say, I never showed up on that lot again. And by the way, it was very hard to get that salesperson to stop calling me. It was embarrassing. He called me almost every day. It tested my sanctification. The man I ended up buying a car from was a man who said to me, you know, buying a car is a big decision. Now that I've showed you this car, perhaps you want to take a day or two and just think about it. Here's my card. If, if something you've seen interests you, I'd love to be the man to help you. And that got my attention. And I thought, I can trust that man. And yes, he did sell me a car. I was glad to give him the deal. In fact, I would have gone clear across town to buy a car from a man like that. You know, some of us see evangelism like sales. And depending on your perspective or personality, you don't like pushiness in others, and you don't want to be pushy to others either. You don't feel like being in someone else's face and trying to make the sale or close the deal for the gospel. Oh, I know there are some who simply relish that idea, but here's what I found. Some of the very best personal evangelists I know are the least pushy people I know. Furthermore, they're authentic. They actually care about and love people. Oh, that sounds hopeful. And today I want to provide a little lesson on how any one of us might become an effective evangelist. There are a number of examples of personal evangelism found in the New Testament. Let me list a few of them. Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4 is one example. Do you remember that amazing statement he makes? If you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask me, and I would have given you living water. Now, that's great, but neither you and I are Jesus, so I know that line doesn't work for us. And that's the issue for many of us. We scour around looking for a way to start a conversation on the gospel and wonder, how do we get going? Acts 8 records an interaction between Philip, a man who is later identified as an evangelist in Acts 21, and an Ethiopian eunuch, an official from the royal court in Ethiopia. He must have been a God-fearer, a Gentile, who loved the God of Israel, but was not a convert. He had been to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home, and the Holy Spirit prompted Philip to run up to the man's chariot. And Acts 8, 30-31 describes what happened next. It says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I want you to notice three things about that encounter. First, notice the Holy Spirit's role in preparing for this encounter. 
This was not a cold call, so to speak. The Holy Spirit led Philip to this encounter, and furthermore, the Ethiopian himself had considerable exposure to the God of Israel and was already interested. At the very point that Philip encountered him, he was reading Isaiah 53. And by the way, man, oh man, I wish that kind of stuff happened to me, don't you? I mean, I never meet anyone on a bus or a public transportation system reading Isaiah 53 out loud, turning to me and saying, could you explain to me what I'm reading? But boy, I wish someone did that. But it's never happened. But it did happen here. Second, Philip simply asked the man if he understood what he was reading and then allowed the man to respond. He wasn't pushy. He asked questions. Good evangelists ask a lot of questions. And third, the Ethiopian invited Philip to explain more. Come into my chariot. Help me understand what this is all about. And Philip simply follows the man's request. What strikes me here is that the conversation seems natural. It doesn't seem forced at all. Now, doesn't that sound different than the typical cold call that we think about when many of us talk about evangelism? Some of us think that evangelism is getting people to talk about something they really don't want to talk about, but in both the case of the woman at the well and the Ethiopian official, it was the other way around. These people really wanted to talk about this thing, and God in grace provided the evangelist. Another example of personal evangelism is recorded in Acts 10, when Peter presents the gospel to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Again, notice that Cornelius was already been praying to God and the Holy Spirit was already involved. Now notice Acts 13, verse 7, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, while he's on the island of Cyprus. There it speaks about the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Or consider the conversion of Lydia and Philippi as recorded in Acts 16. She and a group of women met every Sabbath day by the riverside to pray, and Paul, hearing of this group of women, went there to share the gospel with them. I'm not trying to give the impression that we should not share the gospel until a person is sufficiently interested, but rather we should begin to get in touch with those people whom the Holy Spirit has already been touching. If we had but the eyes to see it, there are a host of people around us who are very interested in hearing. I know of some people who spend all their time arguing with people who simply want to argue and pass by those people whom God has already opened their hearts. Perhaps there's a lesson in all of that. So in the time remaining, let me suggest seven things every believer can do to become an effective evangelist. First of all, pray for the lost. If you've been a Christian for some time, you have most likely been to countless prayer meetings. I know I have. But the more of these meetings I've been to, the more alarmed I've become. I mean, typically, prayer meetings among many Christians surround praying through the list. That usually includes people whose marriages are failing, who have health concerns, who need jobs or financial problems, people whose kids are going off the rails. Well, you know the list. I call the top four things we pray about health, money, kids, and marriages. I bet we spend 90% of our time on stuff like that. And I've been concerned for some time that we take a little time reading helpful scripture to each other, spend time in adoration and in worship to God who does all things well, spend time confessing personal sins and asking God to revive us afresh. And we don't seem to pray for the lost a whole awful lot. If the majority of this country is standing on the brink of a cataclysm, why is it it never dominates our prayers? 
how concerned we are for personal matters and how little concerned for the lost. That's why I think we should start consciously praying for these things. One, we should pray for a heart of compassion for the lost. Tell God how cold your heart on this matter is and confess it and ask for a revival. Secondly, according to 1 Timothy 2.2, we should pray for our government officials, and in that we should pray for those in government who don't know Christ. And while we're at it, we should pray for Canada and pray for a turning to Christ in this nation and plead with God for this. Be the person who will never let God alone on this one. And thirdly, we should pray for the salvation of people we work with, our neighbors, our friends, and our relatives. So while we're praying for our nation, make it personal for the people you know who live in this nation. And fourthly, we should pray both that God gives opportunities to share the gospel with people, and we should pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see who is right now needing to hear. Pray for a sensitive heart. Pray, come, Holy Spirit, and help me to see those whom you have already prepared for this moment. May I be used as your ambassador to those whom you have made ready. I actually think a prayer-saturatedness is not a preamble to evangelism. It is already doing evangelism. Let me illustrate this. You know, I'm overwhelmed at all those years, many years of serving as a pastor, how many times people told me that they were praying for me. I'm so grateful for those people beyond words. But now, are you aware of how many people, can I put it personally, how many people in Canada have never had a single Christian praying for them ever? I mean, do you feel condemned? I mean, I know I do. Okay, we can all pray with a passion for the lost and mention them by name, but what else can we do? Well, we can initiate relationships with non-believers, and that's the genius of the book of Acts. It's the story of one encounter after another with someone who either hasn't heard or has not yet believed. In contrast, some Christians in Canada today have no friendships with anyone outside of the faith, and some Canadians have not one single Christian friend. Oh, yes, we work with unbelievers. We live next to unbelievers. We take our kids to sporting events with unbelievers all around us. But we've never taken a work colleague for coffee or home for dinner or gone out somewhere with them. We've shown no interest in their lives at all. And if we shared the gospel with them tomorrow, it would only be because we were guilted into it. And they would know that. What would it take for us as believers to actually start liking people enough for us to invest our lives into them? When we come back, we'll talk more about the opportunities that relationships afford us. So what has stood out to you from these opening thoughts? This introduction has started us off with some key basics of evangelism, and it probably isn't a coincidence that the first thing we must do is to saturate ourselves in prayer for those who don't know God. And we need to confess our own weakness and hardness of heart that often leads us to not share our faith. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will share five more points that will help us in our journey to being effective evangelists. Thanks for listening today. You know, it's our goal to transmit the teaching of God's Word in as many mediums as possible. In a day where people get information from a wide range of sources, that's why we've created an easy, convenient way for you to receive the latest broadcasts, as well as news about our upcoming events and our 60-second audio feature, Bible Minute. Audio Mail delivers this straight to your inbox every day, so you never have to worry about missing the latest program. Wherever you are, you can stay connected with Back to the Bible Canada. 
For more info or to sign up, go to backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's get back to today's program with Dr. John Newfeld. We've been talking about evangelism, and here now is the third step. Ask people to tell you of their spiritual journey. I'm countlessly amazed at how often a non-Christian will tell me he or she prays on occasion. Why wouldn't I want to know about that? I know there's still a lot of Canadians who have some kind of church in their background. Wouldn't I want to know about that? I know there are a lot of Canadians who wonder what their purpose in life is. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone tell me they think everything happens for a reason. That's fascinating. How did they come to that conclusion? And how do they think that actually works? Or what causes that principle to work? Clearly, while some scientists are telling them everything is random, they don't agree. How did that happen? And to those who say that someone upstairs is looking out for me, ask them, do you ever wonder who that someone might be? What conclusion have you come to? And for those who complain about corruption in government, which, by the way, we all do, would it be improper to ask them what kind of things really bother them and then tell them that you believe there's such a thing called sin and ask, is that how you would describe it or would you use different words? You'll end up in amazing conversations if you look for spiritual themes, and by the way, they're everywhere. In fact, if we're genuinely curious about people, what they believe and what they value and what they hate and what wounds they bear and the disappointments that won't let go of them and what they long for with all their hearts, it's amazing what people will tell you. Because so much of our society simply shouts out, nobody cares. And it's remarkable when we become the people who genuinely care. So, First of all, pray. Secondly, initiate relationships. Thirdly, learn to ask spiritual questions. And fourthly, ask if you can share your spiritual journey with someone. You know, in Christian circles, we call this our testimony. I think there's great value for Christians sharing their testimony with fellow Christians. I find it amazing to discover how fellow believers came to know Christ. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, it might be good for you to begin a little exercise, maybe in your Bible study group. Tell people what God has done for you in this last year. You should do this every year. Now, if you're in a relationship with a non-Christian and you have asked to hear that person's story, it's entirely appropriate for you to share your story. And here's what I found. Most people never ask me the spiritual questions I ask them. I don't know why, but they never do. So I actually have to step in. I have to say, I find your journey fascinating, and I'd like to have the opportunity to tell you my story. Can I do that? Here's a little exercise for all Christians to learn. You ought to be able to share your own testimony or your personal encounter you had with Christ in about five minutes. You can learn and practice this, and in so doing, you will share the most powerful thing your non-Christian friend will ever hear, how the God of heaven is personal and how that God has transformed your life. You know, we've been talking about how to become involved in personal evangelism. We've stressed the importance of one prayer, two, building relationships, three, asking to hear others' spiritual journey, and four, being prepared to share our testimony with unbelievers, but we must go further. Point five, share the gospel. At some point in time, believers must share the gospel with their non-Christian friends. God calls upon you to do it. He encourages you to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, and each of us can learn to share the gospel. 
Now, there are so many helpful tools out there that will increase the effectiveness in gospel presentations. This will include helping people to understand what God says about us, that He created us, that He made us in His image, that we're sinful and alienated from God, that our sins have created a breach between ourselves and God, and in consequence, everything is broken and nothing works the way it should. We must include the truth that Jesus is God's only Son, that He came to earth to die for our sins. He's the answer to the sin question. We must stress the need to repent of our sins and believe that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to forgive us and that we, by an act of faith, can surrender our lives into God's hands. And one more thing. We should be able to show our friends what the Bible actually says about each one of these issues. We should have committed those Bible presentations to our memory. And if you don't have a training program in your church, go somewhere that will train you. But that leads to the next phase. Invite others to come to Christ. Here's a little-known truth. We should ask our friends if they would like to repent of their sins and surrender their lives into Christ's loving arms. Ask the question. Don't be afraid. See, not long ago, I was involved in sharing Christ with a young man who came from an atheist home. He'd been talking about the gospel for several hours, and at one point in time, I said something like this, Jack, I'd never take advantage of you, but I have an inner sense, which I think is from the Holy Spirit. I'm sensing that you might be prepared to surrender your life into the hands of Christ right now. And Jack, if I'm out of order in saying that, Please be honest enough to tell me. And there was a pause in the room, and then he said, You know, I feel like a fire has started to burn inside of me. And I was so hoping you might say something like that. Is it possible for me to do that right now? See, that's the beauty of evangelism. In the end, you'll get the sense that what is happening is so much greater than your conversation. I've often been amazed at Paul's words, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I'm overwhelmed at the sheer power of the gospel to arrest a human heart and to change that heart for eternity. I'm amazed how what started with a conversation about Jesus ended up being the center point of a changed life. And not just for that person, but for that person's family and others that person comes in contact with. But there's so much more. I remember the first time I heard someone I had led to Christ tell me that he had just led someone else to Christ. And at that time, I wondered, how great is the ramification of one person coming to Christ? But there's one more thing I'd like to share about evangelism. Please remember, and here's the last point, remember never to do it alone. Invite your friend to a woman's meeting or a men's meeting. If your church has a Christmas or an Easter extravaganza, invite them to come. Maybe there's a golf tournament for Christians. Go for coffee afterward and invite them to Sunday morning worship service. Introduce him or her to your friends at church. Allow natural friendships to flow as a result of what has been started. And once your friend comes to church, talk about what's happening. Talk about baptism if they're at one, what it means, communion, Bible studies. Make sure you pray with them. Imagine the joy of someone who's never heard anyone pray for them in their lives, actually doing it for the first time. I remember we had our backdoor neighbors over, and we had a barbecue with them. And I said, folks, I'd like to pray before the meal. And they said, well, I guess that's okay. And so I started to pray, and I just prayed for each one of them and their children And tears were in their eyes. They said, I've never heard anyone do that before. 
See, there's so much we can do, don't you find? There are open possibilities, endless possibilities, if we simply say to ourselves, I will tell. So we can determine to tell. And if we don't determine to tell, we'll never tell. We have to make our lives about declaring the gospel. We need to tell God how badly we failed in this, and we need to tell him the only reason that we failed is because we've had a hard heart. And here's my dream. If every Christian won one person to Christ every decade, and that's not a lot, it would be the greatest advancement of the gospel in the history of this nation. But here's the sad truth. Many Christians will go for a whole year and never once have shared the gospel with anyone. See, what we need to do is we need to repent, and we need to come back to Romans 10:15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Now, if you're a believer today, I want you to join with me. Would you do that now? I mean, wherever you are, just join me in prayer and say this. God, I know that what's been said is true. It's not hard to share your gospel, but I've not done it, and I'd like to. Would you forgive me of being so callous towards those who have never heard? And would you create in me a passion to tell? And would you give me the skills so that I might do it well? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. John, thanks again for your message today. As you were talking, I was thinking about something you said about sort of convicting our own hearts. You know, we go through this life, I think, somewhat distant in our relationships. But how do we develop that passion, that desire that others might know Christ? Sometimes I think the answer is so simple, it's staring us in the face. There are really only two things any one of us are required to do. Love God, love people. Love God will mean that he will excite in us this passion to want to share the word of God, the glory of God. And loving people means that we're going to care about their eternal destiny and we're going to invest ourselves in their lives. I think life investment into others is so crucial in this thing. If we're not doing it, I mean, it's just not going to get done. Yeah, thanks, John. And I know I'm convicted to make sure that I'm praying that the Lord would convict me to see others the way he sees them. And I think if we do that, we're going to be compelled to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada. I hope that today's message has stirred you, even lit a fire under you to tell the gospel story. Today we've learned some key tools that will equip us to share our faith in a way that just goes beyond a gospel presentation. It's about preparing ourselves to share our faith as a natural way of living. I pray that these seven points would resonate with you and challenge you to take those bold steps for Christ as he leads. If there's someone in your life that needs to be saved, why not take the first step and start praying for them even right now? Join us tomorrow as we wrap up this series, I Will Tell, with Dr. John Newfeld. As a ministry dedicated to engaging people with God's Word and helping them grow, there's no greater reward than hearing from listeners like you on a regular basis. One person wrote and said, I really love and appreciate the program. It has helped me so much over the years. Thank you so very much. We want to respond by saying thank you for continuing to listen to the broadcast. And for those who have blessed this ministry financially, we're eternally grateful. If you've been impacted by what you've heard, would you take a moment and let us know? 
We'd love to hear your feedback. You can send it to info at backtothebible.ca or call us even right now at 1-800-663-2425. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.